I love Christmas, don't you? I do. It's a great time for us to be able to share about God's love for us and the gift that He gave to us. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is where we're going. If you're grabbing that pew Bible, it's on page 1,339. 1,339. Now, I have uh, been to Las Vegas a few times. I know some of you have been to Las Vegas many times. Many have lived in Las Vegas. But I've been to Las Vegas a few times, and every time I've gone to Las Vegas, it's been because of a business trip where I worked before the Lord called me into the ministry. We would have sales meetings, and we would go to big cities that could have big conferences, and Las Vegas is one of those. And prior to my first trip to Las Vegas, I was talking to who used to be my neighbor where we live at, uh, currently, but my neighbor that used to live there. He came over to me knowing I was going to Las Vegas, and he had an envelope, and in that envelope, he had $100. And he said, I want you to take this $100, and I want you to see what you can do with it while you're in Las Vegas, and I'm going, oh, no. (laughs) And I took his envelope, and I'm not much educated, but got to Las Vegas and and, um, saw what I could do with it. I reluctantly took his money, and upon arrival at the casino, it did not take long. I lost every bit of his money, (laughs) and I felt horrible. It didn't turn out any different than I thought it was going to, It actually happened quicker than I thought it was going to because sometimes we like to think that we can figure out how to make things work to our advantage when we know logically that it's not going to work to our advantage. But I felt so bad about losing his $100 that I lost 300 more of mine trying to get it back. Yeah, wow. I wasn't smart enough not to lose his money. I lost a lot of mine with it. Now, you know, as you guys know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a gambler. I'm actually not a big chance taker at all. Uh, I don't buy raffle tickets. I don't buy lottery tickets. Uh, those that watch that play disc golf with me, I don't buy ace pots. I don't buy, which is you get paid extra money if you make a... Uh, hole in one. I, I don't do those. I don't do closest to the pen uh, opportunities and, and things like that. I looked up the word wager in the uh, dictionary. Wager is defined as this, to risk money or a valued item against someone else's on the basis of an outcome of an unpredictable event. Un predictable is the key word that I want, that I underlined in my notes. A short definition of a wager is a bet. I personally, not being much of a risk taker, I like to probably abide more from the famous phrase from a man named Joe Friday from Dragnet. He said, just the facts, ma'am. This morning, I would like to christen, open up our Christmas season with some facts. So I'd ask you to stand with me as we read from 
the book of Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7 of Galatians chapter 4. It says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 is an incredible verse. I just read it to you in, from the New King James. Let me read it to you from the NIV. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let me read it from the King James. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Let me read it to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. But when the completion of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Note one phrase that stuck out to me in there in all of those. Note the phrase, the time. It didn't say when the completion of time. It always referred to it as the time. The time is a specific time. The time is an appointed time by God, a time that he appointed before the foundation of the world. God had always planned about this time. God had always planned to send his son. Jesus was always God's plan. Amen? Always. Always God's plan. But God had a specific time appointed. And this time is what we celebrate. While it's probably not the accurate calendar day to do this, we always choose to remember and let Christmas be what we celebrate as the time that God sent his son. The time. Church, we need to remember that because if we begin to think that God is reactionary, that God changes his plans based upon our needs or has lost control, we don't have an accurate understanding of who God is. God has always known and always been in control and always had the answer for our needs before we even knew we had a need, and that is Jesus. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says that when it came to the, the time, God kicked off his activity and sent his son to be born. Now, that scripture goes on, we just read in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, to say that God sent forth his son, verse 5, to redeem, to buy back. Verse 5 also says to adopt us as sons, to make us his children. Verse 6, God sent forth his son to redeem us, to adopt us. Verse 6 says to give us his Holy Spirit. If you today know Jesus as your Savior, One of the ways that you can know that, and if you're uncertain right now, if you know Jesus as your Savior, one of the foolproof ways of knowing that Jesus is your Savior is if the Holy Spirit of God abides in your life. You see, God came and sent his son to be born of a woman, to redeem us, to be born of a woman, to adopt us, and to give us, verse 6 says, his 
Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does many things in our lives, and that'll be a whole different sermon coming up. But, you know, it's the Spirit of God that will allow you to understand His Scripture today. It's the Spirit of God that will convict you of your sin and your need to turn to God. It is the Spirit of God that will lead and guide you. It's the Spirit of God that will reveal His purpose and His plan to you. And I pray that you will be looking for the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And if you see it, then you need to follow and do everything the Spirit of God says. If you do not sense those things in your life, that would be a scriptural reminder that you do not yet know Jesus, and you have not yet come to understand God's great love because, see, he sent his son to redeem you. And this Christmas time, the greatest gift would be for you to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Verse 7 says, not only did he come to redeem us, to adopt us, and to give us the Holy Spirit, verse 7 says, but to make us an heir of God through Christ. At church, there's a lot right there. An heir of God, that means you will be ruling and reigning with Christ. Jesus becomes our spiritual brother when we become a child of God. God has a whole lot for us that Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 teach us. Another way to summarize this would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave that time his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Church, this is the gospel. That God sent his son to redeem sinners and to make them his child, to make them righteous and perfect before him, to glorify them one day in heaven, to rule and reign with him. That is the gospel. That is not just a great story at Christmas. You know Christmas is full of great stories. I've already noticed on TV, Charlie Brown's been on. The Grinch has been on. You name it, it's been on. They'll be on again. They'll be on. You know, that we have allowed Christmas to be a time of stories. Now, I've, I've said something to you before. I was reminded yesterday about stories. Every Friday since Addie has been born, we've gone to see her. We've missed a couple. She's 14 months old, so that's roughly 60 weeks. We have taken her a book. Well, Friday, we went down, that was December the 3rd, and it, we, sent, we took her a book called Love You, Love You. Now, you know, it's a cute book, and we get there, and she's used to seeing these books, and we sit and read, and she wants to turn the pages, and she's starting to love books and books. So we get a video from Caleb yesterday, and it's Addie saying hi, then he points to the book, Love You, Love You, and he opens it up, and it says, from Lolly and Pops, December the 3rd, 2021. And then he pushes it to the side, and he brings another book over, and it's called Love You, Love You. <laughs> and he's laughing, and he says, he opens it up and says, To Addie, Love Lolly and Pops, July the 30th, 2021. <laughs> the same stories, the same exact book, almost six months apart. You know, it's hard to remember everything. <laughs> 
But church, Christmas is not about stories. Christmas is about the unleashing of the promised gospel of God through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen? And if we're not careful, this world will put us, will make us about Jesus in a manger, on a float, in a parade, and that'll be all the Jesus we get during Christmas. That's not what it is. We have an opportunity as the children of God to share the facts of Christmas, and the facts of Christmas are Jesus is the Son of God sent to redeem people from sin. Amen? We cannot just take all of this for granted. God has so much to tell us and teach us through his word. And so God's word wants, us, wants to challenge us today to pick up the fact of Jesus and to share it with others. But until we believe it as a fact, we will be skittish to share with people. We will be concerned more with what people might say and might respond back to us. This Christmas season, church, we must allow the fact of the gospel of Jesus to be what we lead and shine through in our life. So I want you to, we're going to take a little bit of a journey. On Monday morning early, I knew this journey. God pointed it out to me early on. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew 1, 1. Talking about facts. Now, this week as I was reading, I went to Matthew 1.1 and I began to read right here. And I'm going to show you through the process of the next few minutes together the journey that God took me on through his word this week. And hopefully that will be a challenge and an encouragement to you as well. I began reading as I headed into the Christmas season the story in Matthew. So let me read in Matthew chapter 1. Let me read verses 18 to 26. Now be careful, church. If you're not careful, you'll just think this is a story that you've heard before, and you won't let God teach you something in these next few minutes. Matthew 1:18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Note the words in verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying. Now, it's interesting. I shared that. I teach a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. 
And we started a new section, and many of you also go through what is called Bible Studies for Life. And so when you opened it up, you studied prophecy today. Well, I didn't know that at first because I don't ever study my Sunday school lesson until I have completed the sermon. This little mind only has so many lanes of traffic I can handle at a time, and I get one done before I do the other. And so I got my sermon done, which is clearly going to be about prophecy in the next few minutes. And I open up my Sunday school material. And I'm going, wow, God, you're really trying to teach us something. Because in Bible studies for life for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about prophecy. And we had a great time in our Sunday school class this morning talking about the prophecies of God, which we define very simply a prophecy is God making a promise of something that he is going to do at a later time. God making a promise. You see, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, is an Old Testament prophet, prophecy by Isaiah. If we were to turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we would see exactly the words that are in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. God was reminding Joseph in that moment of the prophecy that he had said over eight hundred years before. Now it's coming to pass. Now we talked about it in our Sunday school class that we are led to believe that Joseph is a godly man, which means that Joseph probably understood a great deal of what was available to him of God's word, which would have been the law and the prophets, which meant that he had probably heard growing up and read about the Isaiah, prophet of Isaiah, and in 7.14, talking about a virgin to be born one day. Now, when he first hears what's going on in Mary's life, he's going, oh, no, she's been unfaithful. I've got to do something about this. But then God reminds him. This is how I think it plays out. God says, Joseph, all I'm doing, son, is bringing about what I promised to do and told Isaiah over 800 years ago. And then just like that, I'm sure it wasn't just like that, but just like that, Joseph says, yes, Lord. And he obeys and he takes her as his wife and he becomes the earthly father of Jesus, our Savior. The fact that God had promised it 800 years before allowed Joseph to be comforted in the facts of what was going on in his life and that this child was of the Holy Spirit of God. Prophecy. God making a promise that he will fulfill one day. You keep on reading. I kept reading. And, and so I'm not understanding this at first. I'm just reading about the Christmas story. So you pick up in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now we know what's happened, but in verse 5, note the words there. In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet. I note the fact, again, of the prophecy that God had laid out is now coming true. You see, Jesus being born in Bethlehem was written by the prophet Micah over 700 years prior to this moment. You can find that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. God had said, this child that he told Isaiah was going to be born, he told Micah where he was going to be born. Don't miss this important fact. Verse 4 says that when Herod heard this and the wise men came, he gathered all of the, quote, verse 4, chief priests and scribes together, and he said, where is this Messiah going to be born? And these people, reading and having known the Word of God, they said, well, it's Bethlehem. It says it right there in God's Word. Do you know that you can know things in God's Word without knowing things in your heart? They understood this. It was a fact that the Messiah was believed, even by those who did not believe that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. It is a fact. These wise men were led by God via the star to the place where Jesus was, and they worshiped Jesus, and they departed toward home. But look with me in verses 13 to 15, still in chapter 2 of Matthew. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son." Now, church, I'm not always the quickest one on the, t on the uptake. But here I was. I was just reading the story of Christmas from Joseph's perspective in Matthew. I'm just ready to kick off the Christmas season, starting the first book in the New Testament. Let's go. And three times now, God has said in his word, fulfilling what I told the prophet. You notice it happened again right there. Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1, said that the Christ child, the Messiah, would be called out of Egypt. Did you notice that he had to go to Egypt to be protected? And he called out of Egypt. Hosea lived over 775 years prior to the fulfillment of this scripture right now in that day. And then I started saying, okay, Lord, you've got my attention. I mentioned this four-foot by eight-foot whiteboard in my office, and it's still full. You're welcome to come take a tour with me, but let, let me just tell you what happened in the life of Jeff all day Monday and all day Tuesday. I started back at Matthew chapter 1, and every time a prophecy was mentioned in Matthew, I wrote it down. Twenty-five times there was an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Now, they're not all limited to Christmas, 
But 25 times in the book of Matthew, Scripture is fulfilled, and God calls it out in the book of Matthew. And I wrote it down. And then I went to the Old Testament prophecy, and I read it. And I wrote it down beside where it was found in Matthew. And then I wrote down beside it what that specific prophecy fulfilled, such as Egypt beside Hosea 11.1, such as Bethlehem beside Micah 5.2, such as virgin beside Isaiah 7.14. And I went through this process. And then I went and found out the author or the prophet of who gave, who God gave that to. And then I did the research to find out when they lived. Now, just in Matthew, just in Old Testament prophecies that God calls out as being fulfilled in the life of Christ in the book of Matthew, God gave prophecies to eight different people. Isaiah, 800 plus years before. Jeremiah, 575 years before. Hosea, 775 years before. Micah, 700 years. Asaph, a thousand years. David, a thousand years, nearly 1,100 years before it came to pass. Malachi, 400 years. And Zechariah, over 500 years ago. God gave these 25 prophecies to these eight men. Actually, he gave 24. There is one that is called spoken, not written. That's in Matthew chapter 2, 23, that Jesus would reside in Nazareth. And so I've got this board full. Prophecy, originally given, how it was fulfilled, when it was given, who it was given to. And I just looked, and I was blown away by the facts that God has provided to us in his word about Jesus being the Messiah. 25 prophecies, Old Testament given, fulfilled in Matthew about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying there are 25 prophecies in God's word. I just limited myself to Matthew. There are literally hundreds of prophecies in God's word. And we need to understand that prophecies aren't these things that late night preachers do on TV. You see, prophecies are in God's word. God's already given them all. And we only are going to study the ones that God has given to us. But we are going to see that each prophecy that God has given to us can be renamed a promise that he gave to us, in many cases to David, over 3,000 years ago. That's been defined and supported that even non-believers are going, it's a fact. Church, this is not a time for Christmas stories. This is the truth. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that was born at Christmas time as we celebrate. And God just kept on going. And I studied, as many of you know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a terrible gambler, but I'm a numbers guy. So then I did the research. I was just intrigued. 
And so I did the research of these prophecies being fulfilled by a single person. Just go with me here, and you're getting ready to go, Jeff, you're getting ready to lose me. I'm either getting ready to lose you, or I'm getting ready to cinch it in your heart, and you'll never forget it again. So let's just talk about this. I want to share some information that I found. Went to a website called Empower International, really good Christian website. And I want to share with you just some statistics and information. And so what I'm getting ready to say for the next couple of minutes is not my words, but words that I couldn't have said better that I want to share with you from Empower International. It said, the reason why prophecy is an indication of the divine authorship of the Scripture and hence a testimony to the trustworthiness of the message of the gospel is because of the minute probability of its fulfillment. Think about that for a second. Anyone can make predictions. Having those prophecies fulfilled is vastly different. In fact, the more statements made about the future and more the detail, then the less likely the precise fulfillment will be. For example, it brought this out. What's the likelihood of a person predicting today the exact city in which the birth of a future leader would take place well into the 22nd century? But that's exactly what God did through Micah. What's the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death that a new, unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years from now, a manner of death that at the time of the prophecy was unknown and to remain unknown for hundreds of years, yet that's what David did over a thousand years before Jesus. Think about this. The science of probability. See, science will prove God true. I'm not afraid of science. And anybody who trusts Jesus, don't be afraid of science. Science will support this. The science of probability attempts to determine the chance that a given event will occur. A professor at Westmont College has calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. Just catch this for just a second. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing 600 university students. The students carefully weighed out all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill the particular prophecy. Did you notice that those prophecies in Scripture were separated by hundreds of years? They made their estimates conservative enough so that they were finally unanimous agreement that even the most skeptical students would agree that this was numbers were right. However, the professor then took their estimates and made them even more conservative, and then he encouraged skeptics and other scientists to challenge them, and they said that they were more than fair. He then submitted his figures to review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation, and upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to this. I'll tell you what they did just in Bethlehem. They said that they would, they, in order to validate the probability of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, says that they divided, they took the average population in Bethlehem then and now, and they were able to statistically, because of the number of people in the world then and now, to come up with the probability, one in 300,000 that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, think about this. Examining only the first eight prophecies, 
they have estimated that the chance that one person, the same person, could fulfill just eight of those prophecies was one in 10 to the 17 zeros. I don't even know how to say that number. You can write it down and it just keeps going. I've got it written down right here in my notes. It's a pretty big number. They went on, they said, just let me teach you. He said, what if a man was given 10 tickets and you put 10 tickets and you're marking one of them a mark and he puts it in a bag and you shuffle it all up and he pulls one out. The chances of him pulling out the right one ticket is 10%, one in 10. We get that. But we're talking about eight prophecies over hundreds of years fulfilled by the same person. One to the 17 zeros opportunity. And then this blew me away. They said, if you take one to the 17 zeros in quantity and call it silver dollars. And then you took those silver dollars and you dumped them, Joel, on the state of Texas. They would cover the ground in Texas two feet deep. The whole state. And then you said, one guy, you can go anywhere in the state you want to, you can pick up one silver dollar, two feet deep all over... The, the, one of the largest states in our country, the chances of him picking it up, finding that one silver dollar across the state two feet deep, one to the 17 zeros long. But Jesus fulfilled them all. Jesus fulfilled them all. So much point that this professor concludes this statement. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. That's pretty amazing. It's a fact, people. Except we walk around as if it's an opinion. We walk around as if it's a story. See, when we get to share the facts with people, People will be changed by the facts. And that's what we get the opportunity to do this Christmas is we get to share the facts of Christmas. Let me share one more prophecy with you. I hope you're still in Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I told you there were 25 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the book of Matthew. This is the last one. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. When you get there, I'm going to read it. Matthew 27, 46. Thank you for turning. God's people want to be in God's book. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, the 25th Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy in the book of Matthew as it relates to Jesus. Matthew 27, 46 says this, And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God turned his back on his own son. And he did it because of my sin. Because of your sin. Born. Our sins being born by Jesus on the cross. But God told 
David, nearly 1,100 years before, in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, is this word. David wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? God even planned this gospel so thoroughly that he knew that one day his son on the cross would say, God, Father, where are you? And he turned his back on his son so that he could turn his face toward you. Church, can I tell you that God planned it all along since the beginning to send his son to the cross for us. Now, doing this is one level of love. But planning to do this and telling people about it all the way through history leading up to its accomplishment on Calvary is a kind of love that my heart cannot yet fathom. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son to redeem, to adopt, to give us his Spirit, to make us an heir with Christ. Let me give you that quote one more time. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact. Proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. You're going, okay, Jeff, what's your point? What am I supposed to do with this? If you know Jesus, you know the truth. You know the truth. And then Jesus tells us what that means. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Scripture says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Church, we are about to embark on this day and walk out of this room into this world where people are enslaved by their sin with no hope. And they are familiar with the story that is Christmas. But they are not familiar with the Savior who is fact. And we have an opportunity this Christmas to share with them the facts of Christmas. Amen? And in order for you to share that fact, you must first believe it.